the first time that I realized that there was like this very specific audience was I had posted a self-portrait and it was all about anxiety. It, it went viral. And rather than talking about the art, my comments, the, it was all filled with conversations. And that's what I'm always trying to elicit. Very rarely are people saying like, wow, you're you're skilled. It's, it's yeah, these conversations around feelings. That's kind of a marker of how I know if I'm doing my job effectively or not. All right, welcome back to the Vertical Depth Podcast. I'm so excited to be uh, interviewing Miriam Huffman. I've actually gotten to interview her before and her creativity in the past was phenomenal. And I love that her creativity now has just tripled since then. The last conversation we talked about was how to have meaningful conversations in photography and meaningful art in photography with family photography so it wasn't just another family portrait. And her work was so freaking unique. I loved it to death. And she's transferred that now into the social media space, which I love because I feel like I'm. she's gone on a path, I've gone on a path, and we're just bumping into each other again. Uh, and she is uh, really in the past couple of years become a very, very talented, but also grown a very strong audience around the art that she started to paint. Uh, and you see some of that in the background, but it's just fantastic. Um, and I think she's taken a very unique approach to the way that she's built that audience. And I'm really excited to dive in and hear more about how you've done that. So thank you so much for coming on, Miriam. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to uh, get to chat again. I'd love to start kind of with how you started an artist journey because I know you came from, I think you said the tech space. Um, and I've actually been really curious, what were you doing in the tech space? Like what logistical role? Because I'm curious if that's transferred over to what you're doing now. Yeah, I um, I bounced around between business development and marketing roles. So I think both of those have uh, really helped me over the past few years, both in like corporate space and in my own creative work. For the business development, was that a lot of um, like corporate structure, figuring out who needs to be in what role, consulting in that space? What what did the business development side of things look like? So when, and that was my, my most recent corporate role and it was at a tech startup. So, so my hands were in a lot of different spots, but basically I would do a lot of, we, we had this tech product, right? and uh, early stages, and we'd try, we were still trying to figure out what industries we wanted to go in. So a team of people would say, I think we should go into the education space. And so my mm. job would be to, you know, figure out what kind of requirements does our product need to work in education? Uh, what kind of funding do we need to ask for? Um, are the, I'd have to work with the product team and the engineer, like the software team to figure out, are these things even possible to put into the product? And then after we'd figure that out, then we would put it all together in a nice little package and go pitch it to investors. So it was kind of um, a lot of different roles all balled up into one. Entrepreneurship in the tech space, because that's where my brother's at right now. Really fascinating space. I feel like it's fascinating and fun because you're doing so much technical work but also i imagine it's it's kind of chaotic because you're trying to essentially find like solutions straight to problems and like what's a like a fun technical way that we can solve that problem is this going to work i don't know um that's very interesting was it like fun or stressful for you a little bit of both yeah um 
it ended, it became stressful, not because of the job itself, but I think more the environment. And that's, that's yeah. what ultimately led me to leave the space. But I enjoyed the problem solving aspect of it and that every day was something completely different. I never knew yes. um, what that day was going to hold. So, yeah. I feel like um, I was talking to my brother because um, my brother and I started a business and now he's going 100%. He's sold on the tech space, just really heavy. Right now, he's building a, uh, an, AI into an AI interface. So he's doing more UX stuff for um, film uh, script apps. And so essentially, you put in a little bit of information and it gives you a script to go shoot. And so instead of getting stuck on what's your idea, it'll give you that laid out idea. Essentially, building from the ground up, finding a problem and something that's interesting to him and going straight to product. Um, we talked a little bit about this, but I actually, that model exhausts me. It's, it's, it's kind of terrifying. It's intriguing and it's very like classic of like, let me go find a product that's selling on Amazon and let me go sell it because it's going to make money because people like this product or it's cool or it's a cool idea. The model's a little spooky to me and, and probably because of my EQ skills are not as technical. They're more like emotional and like people oriented. I think that's something that you and I talked about at one point where there's like obviously a million technical things in photography to make it look really good. But I think both of us lean toward what are the people relational skills to make an experience really fun. And those are two skills that are different, but that need to like blend together. And then obviously having a team that really wants to amplify and lift up both of those things is super important, especially in some kind of like entrepreneurial startup space. So I can imagine that being either wonderful or terrible from day to day. Yeah. Um, so you left the tech space and were you doing, you were doing photography at the same time or did you step into photography full time? What was next for you? Yeah. So I was, um, I was doing photography at the same time. And then I kind of, I had this incident at work that just, it kind of sent me over the edge. And I was like, you know what, this is, uh, this is my moment. And I was like, I'm going to take this opportunity and go full out with my photography. And so um, January of 2020, January 1st was my first day. I was like, this is it. I'm on my own. Um, and it went really well. Uh, up until March and then the pandemic hit and it was like everything went out the window. <laughs> Work picked up for me in in the pandemic, which is odd, but I can imagine if you're doing stuff with families, they're going to be extremely intentional and like scheduling is going to be extremely intentional. And so the work is just going to completely freeze. Like a lot of wedding booking uh, companies just, just disappeared out of nowhere in the pandemic, which is wild. I, I think I saw uh, one of the TikTokers that I just love. It's Jesse Eagle. He ran a wedding film company and lost all of his clients and had no money and basically was broke and had a family of three and was the main source of income for his family. And his whole TikTok journey was, I have to figure out how to take care of my family. If you want to join me on uh, during this pandemic, I'm going to figure out how to make a million dollars. And he, he did. It. it was cool. Wow. It's been a fun story to follow. That's awesome. Yeah. Now he does a lot of content about investing and that's like his next thing because I think he crossed in his first year, he did 100 and that's obviously awesome. Like that's that's good enough as it is. And then the second year, I think he ended at like 2.2 or something like that. Gosh. And then now he's basically like, my next goal is 20. Um, and he's just doing investing strategies. I'm like, that's a world. That's a whole space to think yeah. about. Yeah. <laughs> wow. He built his audience through that. 
And now he's trying to figure out what's next, which is fascinating. Um, so you did the photography space. What did the rates in the wedding or excuse me, family photography world look like? And then how many uh, families were you actually able to work with on a weekly basis? Yeah, I did um, so like an average session. My starting like price was $750 um, for like a one hour photo shoot on average is one hour. Um, and I did about two to three of those per week. Um, kind of the hard thing with family photography is you, you're working on their schedules and when families are available, that's nights and weekends. And that's when my family's available. So, um, you know, it's a lot of the price kind of stuff went into me trying to balance and still be able to spend time with my own family. And and the reason I ask is I'm excited for what you're doing now, but I feel like a lot of people um, are like on a beginning of their journey trying to figure out art. I was talking to my sister-in-law and she really wants to figure out how to help support what they're working on. And she's like, is it this or is it that? And I'm like, uh, and she's been really intrigued by family photography. Um, it has the time and has the space. And I'm like, uh, the the interesting part, and this is really like all of this, is I know so many people who think that being able to make $750 off of a family package is like, what in the world? Like, how do you do that? But I, I, I love what you did. And I love the price point that you were at, because I think you are providing something a little bit unique compared to a lot of family uh, photographers. What do you feel like um, made it easy for you to ask for that number and then to be able to book one to two families a week? What did that look like and why did that feel? Obviously, there was like the negative side of it eventually, but when it was good, um, how did that kind of come about and, and, and what made that so clockwork for you at the time? Um, yeah, well, the, the, that number came about um, pretty easily. It was just, it was the absolute minimum amount of money I could charge to sustain any sort of business um, to even make minimal profit. And I know that sounds kind of crazy because people think, oh, 750 for one hour. But but then there's, you know, 15 to, yeah, 15 to 20 hours of editing all of that. There's all the money I put into I was putting into marketing and running Google ads and Facebook ads and um, just the equipment, like people don't often realize how expensive video and photography equipment could be. So, yes. so really the 750, um, number was that, and that's also where I live. Um, you know, you're, uh, we don't live too far from each other. Um, yeah. that, that, that is, uh, that's like the going rate. It's a pretty standard. It's the standard yeah. for everyone. Yeah. So I wasn't, um charging and and again it sounds silly to say but this wasn't like no premium price point compared to the other photographers in my area it was it was very much the standard so i think that's really good news for a lot of people like really good news because um example like i i live in a little bit lower income area than you do and it's about 40 30 minutes away and it would absolutely make, and I'm using myself as an example. I'm, I, I'm me, whatever. And I want to go do family photography. It is very feasible to say, I'm going to drive 30 minutes out of my way to work in a better income area to get better gigs. 
And what I've always found, always, is for some reason, when people are willing to spend more money on a product, there's way less stressors on it. Like a lot of people will get into family photography. Yeah, like they, they're less like stingy about the money and they're less frustrated about the product and they're more grateful and excited. But I've known a lot of people who will not do family photography because they're charging $100 for an hour session and then for like 300 photos, whatever dumb thing that they agreed to. And then the family's like, oh, it's not this or it's not that. And it, I wish it was this. And there's just a reality that you could very easily find higher quality clients if, and this is the really important if and something I'd love to go into, you give something that's worth that dollar amount. And I think you did. Like your photos, everybody I showed was like this person's soul was put into these photos, which I know I'm just like bragging you up, but like <laughs> everyone that saw them and they, and, and I don't mean this critically, they were on a technical scale, not that expensive to create. You weren't using like a six by six flash and you weren't doing like a, a bounce card and a bunch of hair lights. You were doing like a lot of natural light photography, which is ah. fascinating. And you weren't like, obviously you use cameras that were gorgeous, like you're shooting on your Nikon right now. Um, but it wasn't like, oh my gosh, I need a Hasselblad and seven Sigma art lenses and $500,000 of lighting in a studio where every person I talk to gets stuck right there. That's where they get stuck. Like I need all of these things to be able to charge that money. And I think when you started, you probably got to that price point before you needed a huge amount of equipment. But the reason is, and I, I actually want to explore the reason, I think you gave something just really exceptionally valuable and unique to the marketplace. You said you did Google ads and Facebook ads. Did that kind of come from your marketing background? And what did that look like for your photography business? I, you know, I guess the idea of it and maybe some of the writing of the ads, um, my, my background helped with that. Um, but no, I think, and especially at the time, um, local, like something like a photographer, right? They have a local market that they're working with. Um, doing targeted ads are, can be really super effective. Um, so it was just kind of, it was kind of a no brainer for me, That's at least, awesome. especially when I was starting out. And then um, I prioritized like SEO and Google search. And then once I, once I was able to get to the top, I didn't, I didn't need to rely on ads as much. Question for you. So S SEO was a slow burn. Ads was a hunt. Um, and, and that's really interesting because then eventually you kind of had a lot of your clientele, I'm sure come from your Instagram and you're like just your existing audience, people recommending, um, cause a lot of people swear by one method. They'll say word of mouth. They'll swear by SEO. They'll swear by ads. They'll swear by partnerships instead of what I'm sure what kind of happened for you was you did multiple things and it led to multiple other things. It wasn't. Hey, I'm going to do SEO and, and, and ads. So that means I can be a freaking jerk to the people I'm talking to. Uh, and I don't need referrals because I get ads here. I'm assuming it was both, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I um my approach to like my approach to photography and now with art, um, I, I like to think of my business as a steam train. And what I really want is if I you know, if the conductor walks away from the steam train, the steam train's still going to go for a while. It doesn't just stop immediately. Um, and that's, I like to be able to give myself the freedom that if I need a day off or if um, I am taking a week-long vacation or if I'm just 
having to focus on skills versus business building, um, that my steam engine is still running in the background without me. And um, that's fantastic. Needs really little input from me. Yeah. And, and if you don't mind me asking a specific, how much were you spending on ads on the early end? Like what was the, and I guess a better question is, did you have like, it cost me a hundred dollars to get a $750 client? Like, did it look like, look something like that? It, it did. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't have the, I, I don't remember yeah. any of the stuff off the top of my head, but I do believe it was, it, it was probably close to that about a hundred dollars ad spend. It sounds like a lot and it's a scary number, uh -huh. but when you actually calculate and you're like, okay, well, for every $100 that I spend on this, I'm going to get 700 out. It's like, well, why not? Um, one of the mentors I follow, Ryan, uh, Ryan Moran, he runs capitalism.com. Very big on like build businesses to help people. It's very quirky. Um, and in, in a recent seminar, he literally was like, yeah, it was just a middle finger to like everybody that gets upset with me just to call it capitalism. <laughs> um, it's very silly. But uh, he he talks about how eager we are to hold on to equity, ad spend, whatever. But then we'll spend like a bunch of money on gear or something stupid, you know, something yeah. that doesn't actually make us money immediately. And not that it's an aggressive statement, but like something silly. And we don't spend money on things that we know will return. And so for him, giving up 10, 20 percent of his company to be able to get in front of X, Y and Z very reliably is a no brainer. Why, like, why would I want to make $1,000 when I could make $100,000? Why would I want to get a $100 gig from asking 20 of my friends instead of getting a $750 gig? Um, some of the pieces there, and this is, a, I love this segue, is you probably had a little bit of ad experience, which is a learnable skill. Um, and then you also gave a very unique kind of photography. So that way, every single one of your ads got better. And then your ad spend got lower because it was easier for people to click on is what I'm assuming. What do you feel like was really unique about what you gave in a photography product? I think I, more so than selling photos, I was selling an emotional experience. It was almost like an event. If the kids and the family that I was photographed didn't leave saying, when's our next session? Or, oh man, I'm, I'm sad this is over. Like, I knew I failed. Um, and so it was... I was I was really selling a fun experience for families where they can bond together and have fun. And the pictures just so happened to be a product that came out of it. That is like phenomenal. Like that is a statement that <laughs> is going to get chopped up, used a thousand <laughs> times, could be sold as an ad. I'll probably use it as an ad for something. Um, I love that to death. What brought that on? Like, it's so many. OK, so like the reason I asked that is I know for a fact, like 20 people are going to say, well, I don't know how to do that. Where do I, where do you get that idea? You're just creatively brilliant, which you are. But that came from something. Where did the desire to make that experience for families come from? Think back about my own experience with family and family photos. So like both of those entities separately. And um, there's complicated feelings in both of those areas. And so for me, I just thought about, you know, what what did I want? What kind of photos do I wish that I had to look back on? What kind of things make me happy to look back on? And it was never like 
none of it was ever perfectly posed. Like the things that made me happy were looking at pictures of me and um, my parents being silly or having fun or running around, um, stuff like that. So I just, I, I really tried to recreate that kind of feeling. There's some like businessy terms that could be plugged into what you just said, but I love it because it wasn't businessy terms. It's things that literally any person can do. Looking back on a positive customer experience and looking back on a negative customer experience and how do you bridge the gap between those two? That's like the very technical yeah. conversation. But on an EQ scale, which any influencer, any mom, any friend, any brother, any like small business owner, any large business owner struggling to actually make something fun can do is sit down and say, who is this person? That's a person. I, I relate to them. I connect with them. I'm kind of one of them. What was it like to be in their shoes? What do I wish was there? Man, what are my favorite memories of this? And how do I take that experience and replicate it as many times as possible? That is the product. That yes. is what I'm selling. Like that's that's essentially what you said. And I love that so freaking much. Because it's, it's very much, and, it, and I got hammered with this last night on the podcast I was on, or on the, uh, it was more like a, a hot seat where they just grilled me and my homework. Um, it was fun. But they said, who is your person? Who is the person you're serving? What are they going through? What are they struggling with? And how can we help that person? Um, that level of specificity is fantastic. Um, so I, I love, I love that um, attitude. I love that um, approach. So this is a lot of like your last project, obviously. Um, what I did with my brother is we spent most of our time on the last project that he did because uh, him and I started that business, all the shenanigans. Did he steal half a million dollars from me or not? Who knows? Um, <laughs> but um, what we did next and what I want to spend actually most of our time on is what you're going into now. But also I'm curious. Uh, I don't think you should do this. I think what you're doing now is just amazing. Just do what you're doing. When I talked with Ben, he sold 800 weddings over the span of three years, um, wow. which was $2.5 million. Very wow. silly. Very, very silly. Um, over the span of like four years. And most of it was done in the last year and they've continued on that train. Who knows, um, Sean, the new owner, how he's doing. He's probably crushing it. Uh, but one of the things he struggled to do was put himself in the in the shoes of the brides and their experience and then say, cool, they, are, they just spent $2,000 per wedding package with me. And they gave me a 4.5 star review and 800 of them did that. How do I go with them on the rest of their journey and do whatever they need next? Because I care about the person, not about this product that I'm servicing. And so the big suggestion for him was like, dude, these are brides who are now starting the biggest spending journey of their lives, being married or a husband that's being married and getting to spend more money, whatever it looks like. And they're on in a completely new journey. And the person they trust the most to service them in this way is the person they just gave four star, um, like a 4.5 star review, spending a really high ticket item on them. And if you literally just found five more things to help them on that journey, they would probably spend that much money on you yeah. every single year. Yeah. And if you cared about the person. Uh, and we talked about why we didn't do that, why he, we didn't really have the knowledge to do that. But I think the same thing's op applicable with any business. Oh, because yeah. most of the time when we leave a project, it's because it doesn't feel sustainable and it doesn't feel like there's a clear path for the next step is what I'm assuming. 
And so you've stepped into what you're doing now. You voiced kind of for the family reasons, which I think it always takes precedence. Like I will leave any business. I've left multiple jobs because uh, uh, I was working with them and they said, you need to spend less time with your wife. And I was like, out, we're done. Goodbye. Like family is king. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of times, especially when it's our own business, it's sometimes having the hindsight and it's not Monday quarterback. It's cool. I could have done this. How do I do this next time? Um, and there was, I feel like there was an opportunity for you to have expanded in a way because you had such a unique voice. But thankfully, um, I think that there's a really exciting way that you're going to end up doing that with your next project. Um, and before I go off monologuing about it, um, you left Miriam Hoffman Photography and you've stepped into something new. And I would love to hear all about that. Yeah. So I, um, and it kind of goes back to the the pandemic and this is the best way I can kind of explain the story so um when I had left my job in the tech world um I I was doing photography full-time and then three months into it you know it's a it's a people business I'm face to face with people and then all of a sudden overnight there you couldn't be with strangers anymore face to face unless you had a mask on and I can't photo graph families with masks on and also my kids were out of school so I had I was homeschooling three small children overnight um, and I was like oh my gosh how am I supposed to run my own business with this but so anyways I ended up taking an art class um, during that time that I was home with them and that was about a six-month period where I couldn't photograph families and I had three kids at home full-time I was homeschooling them so I took an art class and I started doing it when, once they went to bed. And um, it I just kind of got hooked. And I ended up posting a video on TikTok of just like me drawing or painting. And uh, it's, it started to gain traction. And then I posted another one. And it just, I mean, the once the ball started rolling, I couldn't stop it. And um, yeah, what are we? We're like three years later almost and it's now my full-time job which is crazy i actually just did my very last photo shoot that i had booked a year ago wow um i just did that this week so i'm officially officially done with the photography at least for now you grew rapidly uh there was definitely i'm sure a bell curve of growth and then where this goes and then i think you halfway through started going to instagram reels which is a completely yeah. Basically the same game, but completely different. And it's fascinating to see the two. What did it look like for like that growth uh, on TikTok? And what was like the creative inspiration, the desire, what felt exciting? Uh, what were some of those logistics for the growth over the past three years? Yeah, um, it was a pretty wild ride. And I think early on and like when I started growing super fast, I was treating art almost like my personal diary. And uh, I, I had a lot of, I still struggle with anxiety. And um, especially in the, you know, right after the pandemic, um, my anxiety was just like through the roof. And so I posted a lot yeah. of art around that. And um, surprise, surprise, a lot of other people were dealing with anxiety and mental health issues during that time. And uh, I think it wasn't my skills that brought people in because I, I wasn't 
I wasn't very skillful. Um, it was that emotional connection that brought people in. And um, yeah, and that's kind of what I built the audience around. And and even today, it's um, people don't reach out and say, oh, I I love your skills. They're, it's some sort of emotional connection that's brought them there. And um, I'm thankful that my outlet that I needed to feel mentally okay um, has been able to, it's led me to connect with other people and um, helped, a lot of people have told me that it inspired them to start their journey. And um, that's like such a rewarding feeling. Um, so my wife's an artist as well, and that's a conversation we have a lot, is skill versus connection and like intimacy. Um, so she wants to go to school to be a therapist as well. And so she really just wants to, and her, her lifelong dream is to be an art therapist, to help people paint, process their emotions, process trauma, process grief, um, and do it in a format that makes them feel like able to feel safe to, to, to do those things. And so what your journey is like, pinpoint on exactly what she like craves um, but also I, I, I look at this as a parallel to my own work because um, I'm I'm doing a weird like oh self-help business development personal career how to be famous <laughs> like all those like flashy things and who knows if I'm good at it but what I love is I actually um ironically and it's just is because I'm a gregarious seven Enneagram whatever shenanigans um is I process and journal my thoughts in conversation like these. Like I, for me, I feel like I grow and I learn and I understand and I get confidence and I just feel alive from playing the game with people and talking with people about their journey and then talking about what I'm wrestling with on that journey. And it's tough for me. Like this is something I think about a lot is, is what I'm making just for flash or is what I'm making actually what I want to process personally. And, and it's yeah. something I'm trying to find the balance on. Because um, I know for a fact, I'll, I'll, the skills will come. Like I've learned a bunch of random things. But what I hope for um, is that even when this isn't like doing well or not doing well, that this is the the point of this is for my soul, like is to fill this part of me up. Um, and that's what will keep me sustained enough to get whatever X result that I want out of it. Um, so I love that specific piece in this. And I love specifically you, you, your, your art was timely and it was personal. And just to put it back to the conversation earlier, you, we could talk about your who, and I really see this in your art. Like I see this, like I'm watching, um, like I'm watching a show and they're talking about an artist is there is so much process of grief and frustration and love and, and, and emotion that's like trapped in the brain and it just comes out on the character. And I don't know if that's on purpose or if that's just kind of like cool, a cool art style, but I think that people see that and you're trying to process that emotion. And I think it was timely because obviously the pandemic, so many people were processing grief and anxiety and trying to yeah, find yeah. outlets to do that. And you found a really clear who to love and serve and connect with. And that's probably, and I'm assuming a majority of the audience that is stuck with you is that very, very specific person yeah. with that very, very specific problem. And there's a million art pages, but what you love is to process some of those emotions through your art. And I'm, I'm assuming that's a lot of the audience that's gravitated towards you. Yeah, absolutely. When did you start to identify that your who, we'll call it that, like your person that you were connecting with? Was that pretty early on? Was that intentional or was that accidental? I would say it was very early on. 
and um they i i honestly i didn't have to do much work to identify my audience they came out of the woodwork and identified themselves for me um they you know they they kind of made it really easy for me um and it was yeah all kind of around that emotional response i think the first yeah. time that i realized that um there was like this very specific audience was i had posted a self portrait and it was all about anxiety and um it it went viral and yeah everyone just rather than talking about the art my comments though it was all filled with conversations and and that's what i'm always trying to elicit like if you go onto my instagram or tiktok um like very rarely are people saying like wow you're you're skilled it's it's yeah these conversations around feelings and um that's kind of a marker of how i know if i'm doing my job effectively or not that's like phenomenal and it's um it's something that a lot of entrepreneurs and content creators don't always get is that your product or your um or your art or your creation or your content is usually the thing they're the least interested in and if you can understand the person who's watching and their journey and realize what this is servicing on their journey, it's so much easier to connect, like on every single level. Yeah. Um, in in uh, I've been examining this for a business that I'm potentially starting and and thinking about this uh, for, for any project. Um, but what has become really clear on the project that I'm potentially working on is uh, essentially there are a bunch of filmmakers who obviously want to be the prettiest filmmaker in the world. But one of the biggest hurdles for a lot of them is they get stuck in analysis paralysis. They get a script, they get an idea, and they have the perfect idea and they need all of these things. But what they really want is to go take 30 shots. They really want to find different ways to stop getting stuck and stop feeling like they can't move forward. And so there's a million products for filmmakers, but not a lot of them are servicing this specific problem and emotion of why they're following these people, which is to, to get inspired to actually make crap. And like what problems can be served to make 30 shots and to feel the energy from creating 30 things. And I'm sure you've seen this with your artwork. Um, it's it's that it's that energy from uh, whenever you close the gap between ideation and action. And the bigger the gap is, the more anxiety there is. The smaller the gap is, the more energy there is um, and the more momentum there is. Yeah, um, for sure. And that's come from the, the influencer I'm working with, his whole heart is to just make stuff that makes people want to stop spending a million dollars on films and go make stuff. Like stop needing a big film hub, you know? And that's his heart and that's why people comment. And that naturally happened because he was really excited about that. And then his audience just was hungry to say and do those things. And that's a very natural progression. It's sometimes a hard skill to transfer to say like, hey, um, it, it's a very EQ emotional skill. And at times it's challenging to say, hey, um, this is why people like what I do and this is how I can help and serve them. How do we take the next step? Uh, there's some specifics. I won't digress in this moment, um, but I love hearing about how that kind of came about because for most starting content creators, that's all they need to do. They just need to make something, care about it, 
develop the relationship and then eventually figure out what to do next. Like, how do I go in there? But if you can start with that who, it's so much easier than here's a trending idea or a fancy product. Yeah. Um, love that to death. So where did it look like to start to monetize that journey? Like, did did that come from brand deals? Did that come from opportunities? Um, did that come from ideas or relationship? Where did the starting monetization come for you? Yeah. Um, so that started on, um, I mean, just people themselves would comment on my posts um, asking, is it for sale? And um, yeah. so the, 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 I think the demand came first. And then I was like, oh, I need to figure this out. And yeah, as soon as I saw that, I was like, oh, I can do something that is fulfilling for me gives me freedom and can bring in income sold. <laughs> so a lot of the early monetization came direct to customer. Like they wanted yeah. your art, like they wanted that specific thing. Was that lucrative on the early end or was it like intimidating? What, what did that look like on the, like, cause obviously it's different now. Yeah. But on the early end, was that, what did that look yeah, like? Yeah, it was very lucrative in the beginning. Be awesome. Because I, it was all upside. Like this was just yeah. a hobby that I was doing and I already had the stuff, like the product was being created, whether someone was buying it or not. Um, so I had the stuff and the only, the, you know, the only expense on my end was that I wouldn't have already spent was just shipping out the item and the customer paid that. So, yes. So yeah. Interesting. There, you know, and that's, I think that's with any business that's people it's really easy to get caught up in that because you have a product or you have something you're selling and then demand comes and you're like, okay, I was already doing this. I'm going to start selling. And then, and so that's the lucrative part. Right. And that's great. Yeah. And then it's like, oh, okay, now I'm going to, once you, you transfer into like the business side, that's when all the expenses come in and, um, you know, it's like a roller coaster. So my brother was making a lot of money, obviously off of weddings, um, but he shared with me that he was spending, um, I think it was $60,000 a month oh on gosh. advertisements, right? Wow. <laughs> it's like, oh my heart, that's like, geez. And, wow. and again, it was because he didn't have a lucrative audience to partner with and he couldn't like get that piece figured out. Um, but dude, imagine like he could have literally paid like any influencer 60 grand a month to like promote his business. And they would have blasted him to the end of the world, right? Like, it's very fascinating. There's a different space. Yeah. Um, but, like, it, it's that roller coaster where it goes up and down where he was like, oh, my gosh. And then he was like, oh, we, we have all of these ad bills. We have to go make 100 calls to figure out how to do this. That's where his, like, roller coaster became exhausting. Um, now, selling the art, um, that obviously takes all of you. There's not, like, a scalability to that. Um, is that something that has been like a parent? Is that been a part of the journey seeing like, hey, I can only do so many paintings. Do I want to do paintings? Or has like doing the art been like selling the art been the, the core desire for you? Yeah, no, that's that's a great question. And that is um, that kind of brings me back to like the whole steam engine analogy. Yes. So like the selling the art, um, the, the physical pieces, like I cannot scale my time anymore than I already am. I can't scale the amount of scale the amount of Miriams. Um, so really, yeah. like the only thing in terms of physical paintings where I can kind of scale my income 
is to raise the prices on the painting, um, which is not always the best. You know, you can only raise it so much um, yeah. for whatever giving, given situation. So then I was, you know, it's starting to think, well, okay, how can I scale this with me still just painting and only having the same amount of time, everything? How can I scale my income? And that's when things like, um, you know, the social media, um, uh, I do some light education, um, having an Amazon storefront, um, just bringing in all these other revenue streams, um, prints, stickers, you know, product like that, just ways that I can still just do my one painting and now how many different income streams can I bring off of that one painting? And that's where I'm at right now is, Very is cool. scaling that. That's yeah. And I think that's like the um, good or bad doesn't really uh, uh, exist, obviously in any kind of business form. Um, but that is usually the next step that a lot of people take is how do I um, diversify my current art and how do I amplify my current art? And then some people go into education they'll do like a course or something um, and, and, uh, I think that's fascinating. And then a lot of people will go to YouTube because they want the CPMs from YouTube. That's something I'm trying to, I mean, I'm sure you've kind of done a little bit of research on very fascinating. Um, and this is not a criticism or, or a thought, but this is a new thought for me over this past year is it is, I think, challenging and intimidating for a lot of influencers to think about how can I create a business that serves this person, the same exact person in the same similar way because I've identified a problem. That's challenging. It's like, how do I find out how to continue whatever they need on their relationship that doesn't take any of my time or effort? Um, And so what I'm focused on is creating that like top layer of value, but then what does the middle of layer of value look like? What does the bottom layer of value look like? And actually funnel down. And I mean, I'm sure you've seen like um, from in a marketing background, I, I have just like blasted the word tofu, mofu, and bofu to the end of the wind lately. Like top of funnel, middle of funnel, and bottom of funnel, um, and everybody makes fun of me for it. <laughs> I think it's hilarious, um, but it's it's fun. Um, but like actually thinking in that structure is challenging because um, obviously it just depends on like, are, do you want to go down that path? Do you want to partner some with someone on that path? Do you want to expand yourself on that path? But what is fun is we could talk about numbers all day. Here's how you get a ten percent return on a three hundred thousand person audience. Um, and 10% of them become dedicated monthly buyers on X amount of products on these platforms. Those things are a lot of fun. Like there are a lot of, like, I love going into those, but what's more intriguing to me that I think really connects with both of us is you've been serving this person for three years, this group of people, and you've really built a deep, intimate relationship with them. How would you define them now? Like, who is that person? What's their journey? What are they wrestling with as a person? And like what kind of relationship and what capacity of relationship do you have with those people? I think it's actually interesting. And um, I have two very distinct audiences for my one kind of product, my art. So one are art collectors. They're interesting. They're people who, you know, they like art and they want to, they like to buy art. They like to look at art. So that's like this group A. And then the other group, the other part of my audience are artists and so they follow for inspiration or tips 
and learning, they're on their own artistic journey. So they're not, and most of the time, they're two, two separates, two separate audiences. Same, both of those audiences behave very differently. They're active in different places on the internet. And so I'm able to tailor my content for each of those kind of audiences. That's fascinating. And the distinction between the two is important. How would you define the person who comes to learn art? And how would you define the person who comes to collect art? Like, um, and not necessarily demographics. Um, and, and if you'd like me to define, this is a new term for me and it makes me feel smart, but more so on a psychographic scale. Um, I don't know if you've heard that term, um, but like, it's a weird one. And so like demographic is like, they're from here, they have this income, this is their life. But a psychographic is um, they are going through these problems. They feel this way about the economy. They feel this way about this kind of art. They struggle with these kind of emotions. And so you have more of a like a psychological graph that you can play with them. Um, it, it, to your current understanding, and it's okay if it's kind of like, oh, this is a new thought. Um, what would you what would you call and define those two groups? Like if you were to play with that, that both of those groups would both be defined by like the same thing. They're um, art collectors. You know, the people who are buying the art, uh, yeah. they're driven by an emotional kind of response because a lot of my art, it's it's weird. You know, um, not your average person isn't going to want to hang one of my paintings in their living room. And I know that, and that's okay. It takes someone who who they need to have an emotional connection with the art to be like, oh, I want to hang that in my house. Um, and then yeah. on the same, on like the other side, I have the artist, my audience of artists who um, they're looking for a, a more emotional way to connect with their own art. Um, and I think my Interesting. my process is. It's a pretty emotive process. It's crazy. It's fun. It's free, um, and and it's stress relieving. And so, yeah, a lot of a lot of the artists that follow me or that reach out to me, it's they're going through something, and they also want to use art as an outlet. So, so um, on both sides, of those it's like the emotion is my connector to both audiences. That's freaking phenomenal like i love that specificity and and i want to take ask to take it one step deeper and i'll ask specific questions here it sounds to me like your audience is people who are processing emotion specific emotions grief anxiety frustration and they either please correct this um are have struggled to do that with their art but know when they've seen it and have just felt joy when they've been able to do it but have not felt like they have a place to do that. And whether that's purchasing and, and seeing and collecting or creating, they have just felt hungry to do this. Um, and I'm just going to use stupid words. Like, so I don't know if you have a way to define uh, your art style, but they feel this psychedelic person, human experience with colors and emotions that feel like almost like, like the, the, the emotion is literally like dripping out of the person and the portrait. Like, that's what I've always felt like when I see your art. Like, that's a very specific way. Um, now I might be right there. Might be wrong. I, I, I want to find some fancy, uh, make myself feel good way to describe it of like uh, humanist psychedelic. <laughs> yeah, I still, if you, 
think of a, a good way to describe it, let me know because I uh, I still struggle with that myself. It's so specific, though. That's something I love about your art. I think, um, and, and, and this is skipping to the end, I think your audience will end up helping you define it. And a conversation and relationship with them is going to be like, what do you feel? Oh, this is fun. We're the Babadoobad, whatever <laughs> like, term we use to describe this experience. Um, and because uh, like, i.e., a funky, silly example, no political intentions in this, but like the capitalism community, um, he his people are people who have always known that they want to be an entrepreneur. It's not conservative entrepreneurs. It is not liberal entrepreneurs. And he literally has a shirt that says like not political, but entrepreneur. Like that's his capitalism. And his, and his core person is people who have always known that they want to serve a group of people with everything they are. That's always been in them. And so he only wants to work with people like that. He doesn't care about the hustlers or the people trying to make a quick dollar. He, in fact, he's very like anti that, anti those things. And so the way he describes his people is he is the therapist for entrepreneurs. Like that's his little gimmick. And, and I love his stuff to death because it's specific, but that's come from conversations with his audience on a frequent basis that has really helped him define that relationship and then define his artwork. Entrepreneur therapy is kind of like his, his business model style, which I love. It's, I need it. Lord help me. Um, so what I love that, I love how specific that is. Um, and then again, the next step, and this is something, um, I'm actually going to give an option to do this or not do this. Something that is some I would like to practice uh, is I am essentially learning and documenting uh, and in the 12 month, 24 month goal out from here is I would like to actually um, help content creators build sustainable businesses and exitable businesses. That's the that is the dream for me. I want to make because I get stuck in a project. I'm a seven. I like to move on. I love that. I think a lot of um, content creators are have that in them to some extent. And so they'll build something that's connected to their name and they lose it. One of the interviews I'm going to do in the next couple of weeks was from uh, one of my close friends. His brother was my best man. He had the largest 3D YouTube channel on YouTube. Disrupt. Uh, had 2 million, 2.7 million subscribers. Um, and he was like at conferences for Unreal Engine, just very known in the space. And he built his entire business partnership around his name. And he uh, lost the, his entire brand to his business partner. Um, there's a whole sad story. Very fascinating. You'll get to wow. hear about it on the podcast. But um, one of the things that is a dream for me after learning how to do this and practicing this is how can content creators build brands that completely support their vision but are completely separate from their vision? Um, and so if they get tired and want to move on, they don't lose their personal brand. And then they can find vehicles and sustainability and partnerships that can serve their audience without getting stuck and, oh my gosh, there's this huge business that I'm 100% in on, and how do I do this? We need to do a whole different podcast just talking about story. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah, I, I actually, that, um, that really helped me with my photography business. Yes. And oh. um, I, I used to listen to, like, he has a podcast, too, and, yeah, yes. that's very familiar. <laughs> Donald Miller? Yeah. I love that. Well, I think, um, and again, like, I think you have all of the tools and the na natural skills to do that for your business. And then again... Because uh, like I'll make assumptions. Um, this is where we get numerical and funky and fancy. Um, I'm assuming you're probably making like a good chunk of money, five to ten grand off of your art that you're selling, maybe three to four, like something like that. And then you're probably pr um, putting in like some good sustainability from like stickers 
and then prints and then other pieces and then education. Um, that's your time and your energy and your creativity. Um, but the moment that you stop painting, it's sustainability stops. What I think a lot of people are intimidated by is how do I take my passion and my person and my who and completely disconnect it? Because um, Donald Millard is the perfect example of this. He used to coach people through the story brand process, and then he detached himself into building a story brand. And so people go through the consulting uh, and go through his book series on how to build a story brand, which is there's like five books that do that exact same model. His just happens to be very attractive with like, I'm making movies. I love building a story brand, but um, I'm going through like a, an, a company, a technically competitor is one right now called gamification. Um, and it's the same thing. It's literally just the same exact book. Yeah. Um, so I, I love that you freaking read that book. Let's just hang out and talk about story brand for hours. Um, I digress. I monologued a lot there at the end. Um, getting away from specifics, getting away from examples. What do you dream for the future of your career in content? What What do you hope for? You've done things that so many people wish they could do, I'm sure. And it's inspiring and it's enabling because it's not like you had the most unique, everything perfectly lined up to be able to do this. Um, but what do you dream for the future of your content, of your business, of your family? Oh, that's a big, big question. Um, I, I, you know, I honestly, I hope to continue to be able to do it, to be able to do what I'm doing now forever. Uh, I, yeah. it is, but in order for me to grow, I need to make it more sustainable. Um, yeah. so that, that's my goal. Cause I, I mean, I get to wake up, I drop my kids off at school, I come home and I get to draw and paint whatever I want. I put on a podcast or listen to an audiobook or listen to music while I do it. And, um, and it's amazing. And I, I hope I can continue that forever. And then obviously it's finding what it does for you 10 years out from now. Like what kind of emotions do you get to process then? What kind of like things do you get to learn then? Which is impossible to know. Um, that's like, it, it's because it, like, I don't know. Did you ever imagine yourself painting like this whenever you started your photography business? Oh, no, definitely not. Definitely not. I, you... I could have never, could have never imagined it. Even when, even at the beginning of, um, like when I set out to learn how to paint, um, I couldn't have imagined this, which is crazy. I love that. I just, I have this, um, this kind, almost like destructive need to learn things and prove different things to myself um so it's when I started off on this journey it was just because I had seen another artist who had said um anyone can teach themselves to draw or paint and yeah. I said hmm, okay let me try you know if someone else can do it why can't I and that's uh that's kind of my mentality with everything I love that we are in a time more than any time in the, in, in history anywhere in the entire world where it is absolutely feasible and should happen uh, for anyone to go from a different like class mobility to go to a different artistic community 
to go to a different career, to just do something different with their lives. And there's just so many resources to be able to do that. Um, like I, I, so many of the people who I've been talking to started in the movie business and they're making huge movies now. And they started when they were like 38 and they were doing corporate work before then. And obviously the skills helped like your previous skills amplified the journey that you're going on now. Um, but also there was just so much opportunity and resources to be able to take that next step. I'm, I'm excited, dude. I know for a fact, it's just like, what's going to happen in the next podcast interview we do in three more years, like when the world is life going to look like, I'm really looking forward to that. But uh, you, you, you consistently inspire me, Miriam, and uh, your journey as an artist, your journey as a creator, uh, it really always just challenges me to be like, oh, I need to care a little bit more. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Um, I enjoyed our conversation and um, look forward to seeing more.